I pray, Father, we stand before you today the only way we can, and that is through the shed blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we come together to bring you praise, that our very lives would be an offering acceptable to you. Lord, I thank you that you in, in many ways are a mystery. The Trinity that we just sang about, Father, Son, and Spirit, in so many ways is a mystery. But probably the greatest mystery is that the God of all creation would choose to love us enough to empty himself to come here to be among us and to die for us and to defeat death and rise again so that you might live in us and through us. As we continue to worship you in your word, Lord, I pray that you would use it to pull back the veil and speak to our hearts for the glory and the fame of your name. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray these things. And all God's people said, amen. Please remain standing for the reading of the word as Kendall comes up and reads our passage for today. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine, it is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. They were told that their messages were not for themselves but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. And beautifully spoken, I might add. Thank you, Kendall. You may be seated. Grab your seat and your Bibles because I want you to open up to Luke chapter 21. You may say, wait a second, I thought we were in First Peter. We'll get there. But I want to start in Luke 21. And show you the words of Jesus that I hopefully will help set the stage. This is as Jesus is 
making his way to the cross in the weeks before the cross that we celebrated last week in his death, burial, and resurrection. And in Luke 21, and starting in verse 25, Luke is your third book of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's the third gospel. And in Luke 21, 25, Jesus says this, And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the seas and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with the power and with power and great glory. And when these things begin to take place, and we are seeing them take place even now, straighten up and raise your heads because the, your redemption is drawing near. This is where I get my phrase, keep looking up. Right? Our, our posture as Christians, even with all that we see in the world around us, is not to hunker down, it's not to hide out, it's not to be in fear and to cower. It is to stand up straight and look up because we're expecting him to come back. Right? Or take us home, and either way we win. That's the bottom line. Right? I mean, that's, it, that's, that's the deal. And so, 1 Peter, with all we see going on in our world right now, is such a perfect book for us to be in. And we're starting today, in the book of 1 Peter, in a series that we're calling Stand Firm. Stand Firm as Hope-Filled Foreigners. So if you would, turn, find 1 Peter. Probably the easiest way to find 1 Peter, if you haven't yet is you probably found it this morning if you did your daily reading, but if you just start at the end of your Bible, go past Revelation and all the Johns, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and Jude, those J's, you're going to get to 1st and 2nd Peter. If not, you can go like you go past the other direction, past Hebrews, but find 1st Peter, and 1st Peter is written by the Apostle Peter. This is the, the, the man who spent more time with Jesus while Jesus was here than any other person did. And this is, the, this is the man who saw Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's the one who was the first to say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He was often the one to open his mouth and insert his foot first as well, right? I mean, Peter was a flawed man. He was the man that was used by the Holy Spirit at Pentecost to launch the church, Right In this great sermon in, in Acts chapter 2, and then again in Acts chapter 3, and then again in Acts chapter 4. Once the Holy Spirit came upon Peter, he was, he was literally a changed man. And we get to see this picture of, of what, what he is preparing his, the church for. Now understand, Peter wrote this letter around the mid-60s A.D. It's probably between 63 and 65 A.D., which is about 30 years after Christ has died... So the church has been going for about 30 years. Pentecost happened 30 years before this letter. But, there's, but they are being massively persecuted. Guys, to be a Christian in Peter, we have this idea, and I'll get to this later, and I'm sure it'll come up throughout the series. We have this idea that persecution among Christians is a relatively new thing. Guys, it, 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 is, it is not. I mean, 30 years into the program, to be a Christian in Peter's day was to be completely marginalized. You were cut out of the socioeconomic status. If you were Jewish and you converted, which was what most of the believers, early believers were, you were put out of the synagogue. They wouldn't do business with you. So it was to be poor. It was, oh, by the way, also, once Nero came to power in Rome, it was to be, because they would impale Christians 
light them on fire, and use them as human torches while they were having parties. That's persecution. That's the people that, that Peter is writing to right now. Right? In fact, one of the great themes of this book is suffering. Look at chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. It says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the, test, the, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire may be found to result in the praise and the glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now turn to chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Suffering. Suffering is sort of this theme in this book. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials which come upon you to test you, as though something strange is happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And then my favorite passage in the whole letter, look at 5 verse 10. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all comfort, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, it means restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Guys, in, in our vernacular today, Peter is writing to a group of people who aren't woke enough, right? It, but we have to understand something. Biblically, we have not faced persecution at all. Like, we have this idea now. Over the last, you know, 10, 15 years, Christianity is falling out of favor. Certainly over the last few years, even few months, Christianity is falling out of favor. Because all we have really experienced so far is seeing our preferences stepped on. For the first time in our nation's history, Christians are being, are, are, we're, feel, we're getting to feel what, what, what it's like to be on the outside looking in. But that's not a bad thing necessarily. In fact, the, and I'll say this again throughout, the gospel is not losing. Guys, the only places in the world the gospel is losing is where the church and the government have somehow gotten connected. Guys, think about in the places like Western Europe. Why is the church failed in Western Europe? Because the church connected itself to the government. Denmark has a national church. England has a national church. Unfortunately, in America, what happened starting about the 80s was the church, whether it meant to or not, started connecting itself to the Republican Party. Now, I'm not here to talk about politics. I am a registered Republican. I understand, and I know why, and I'll tell you why, but not right now. I'm just here to tell you that what we did, we did to ourselves. Guys, the, the problem is too many people, all, part of why the the gospel is failing in America is because too many people see us, when they hear that you're a Christian, they hear us standing for, and I'm just going to say it, they hear us standing for Donald Trump instead of hearing us standing for Jesus Christ. And that has got to change. For the, and it will. That is what God is doing in our country right now. Now, having said all of that, it is so important for us as Christians in this country that allow us to vote, to vote biblically, and to influence politics wherever we can. Guys, there is a bill right now that was passed by 
our um, House of Representatives called the Equality Act. That is the most inequality act thing that can possibly be. And I'm asking you right now as your pastor to go to the Senate.gov website. It will lead you, unless you already know your senator's email address and phone number. And I'm asking you to email and or call both Arizona senators and tell them to vote no on the Equality Act. Because if the Equality Act passes in our country, and Biden told us when he was running for office that he would pass it, he would, he would gladly sign it. It will remove every religious freedom we have in this nation. I would, by law, they could come in here and tell me to stop telling people that the biblical marriage is between one man and one woman, because that's hate speech. That gender is determined at birth, because that's hate speech. Okay, so we, we live in it. Now, just because they do it, if, if it passes, I'm not going to stop preaching it. It's what the Bible tells us to do. I'm just here to tell you that if there, is a, there is a tension for us as Christians. We are to live in a world that, in this particular case, God has planted us in America on, for this time on purpose. So we want to influence, but we need to do it from the place of saying, the per it's because the person I stand for is Jesus Christ, and the promises I'm proclaiming are his living and active word. right? And that's where we need to be. With that, another great theme, I just want to go back, so back to the word, I, I, another theme, so suffering is a theme. Another theme that Peter talks a lot about is being sober-minded. It's about having your thoughts Right, because the time is growing near. Look at um, chapter 1, verse 13. He says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Look at verse chapter 4, verse 7. Sober-mindedness, this self-control. It's this idea of stop playing around with Jesus. The end of all these things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. And we're going to obviously look at all this in greater detail as the Lord moves us through this book in the coming weeks. And I don't know how long we're going to be in the book. Um, we're not setting it up as a we're just yet. Yeah, so we'll see what the Holy Spirit does with it. But now look at verse 8 of chapter 5. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. It's Peter's way of saying, this is, remember, 30 years after Christ dies, while Christians are being, he, he's only a couple years away from getting executed, along with Paul and all of the other apostles except for John, right? Who, oh, by the way, was boiled in oil and then put on an island for the rest of his life. So it's not like he lived a, a, a promising life either. All of the apostles died badly <laughs> right it was part of the part of the deal and peter knew his time was coming and he's saying we have to live ready it'll come up on your screen in mark chapter 13 this is how jesus said it be on guard keep awake for you do not know when the time will come it is like a man going on a journey when he leaves his home and puts his servants in charge each with his each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. He, Jesus is talking about us. We're, we're the people who are supposed to be staying awake. Therefore, stay awake, 
For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the, ro- or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to you all, stay awake. Guys, we have, we, we have forgotten that. Guys, that should be our, our posture, what I, what I started with. Standing tall, looking up, constantly like thinking about what the kingdom of God is about. Here's the problem, guys. The, the, the problem is what Peter is going to show us. Remember, 30 years after Christ died, the church is just a baby. The world is not getting worse. Christians have fallen asleep. That's the problem. It's the problem in our nation. Frankly, it's the problem in our church. It's the problem in our homes. Christians have fallen asleep. How? Because the enemy, Satan, has sung us a lullaby. And we just went, oh, that sounds so sweet. And again, we will get there as we go through this letter. But guys, we have, we have got to follow the call to wake up. To wake up. So, so sober-mindedness is another theme. The, the last theme is this, sort of this idea of standing firm. While you're in chapter 5, look at verse 12. By Sylvanus, who is the guy who delivered the letter to the church, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you. So this letter is considered brief, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. This meaning everything I've just written about in this letter. Stand firm in it. That's the point of the letter. The point of the letter is to help us stand firm, to have a sense of urgency that Christ is coming again and we need to be about kingdom business because our com- that's what's real. Guys, we think reality is this. You think reality is the mess you're going to walk back into when you go outside. This is as real as it gets because in this place, as we gather, we are as close as we're going to be from the physical where we're living right now and the spiritual interacting together. And we'll see that at the end of our passage today. So with that, turn back to verse Peter chapter 1 and we're going to look at how we're going to stand firm today in God's great salvation. We're going to stand firm in God's great salvation. And, and the question I'm going to look at, the big idea for today, is what's so great about your salvation story? What's so great about your salvation story? I, I've been so convicted this week that I have not near, I'm sure it was on the heels of Resurrection Weekend, but I am not nearly as excited about my salvation as I ought to be. And I think that's true in the church because of what I see and I hear, the kinds of conversations I see and I hear, the kinds of stuff I see posted on Facebook, I don't, or, or Twitter or whatever, wherever you post stuff. Because if we were more, if we were as excited about our salvation story as we ought to be, we would talk about it all the time. We'd be talking about him all the time. So we're going to see that the part of why, how we're supposed to be excited about our salvation story is that it is all of God preparing us for an eternity, not for now. God's end game for us is not now, it's then. And then the, bot- and then the last thing is to make his grace known to all of creation. And these points are going to move fairly rapidly, so stay with me. You're not going to think so right now, but look at the first point, that our great salvation, your salvation story, is all of God. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. i got to stop there. What is Peter's name? What was Peter's given name? Was it Peter? Simon. 
Wait, wait, wait a minute, Peter, you shouldn't, you shouldn't say Simon, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Here's what Peter's doing in this moment. He's reminding, him, he's reminding us who he is. He's giving some authority. But he's, I think he's reminding himself of his identity. Because if you remember, and I don't, we're not going to turn there, but Peter, Jesus meets Simon. They hang out together for quite a while. We don't know exactly how long. And then... Peter, um, Jesus looks at Peter and he says, your name is Simon, but I am going to call you Petra. I'm going to call you Peter, the rock. Right? Now, now, there are times where Jesus calls him by his old name, Simon. It's every time Peter is acting like his old self. Jesus would look at him and go, Simon, like seriously, man, get with the program. Right? Peter is trying to remind us, guys, we have an identity problem, and we need to remember, did I just cut out? Okay. We need to remember that, that our identity is what Peter is going to show us. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession, and, and we cannot possibly live as kingdom people if our identity is our old self. If you are in Christ, you are born again. The old has passed away, the new has come. So, then he says, so here I am, the, the new self, the, the Holy Spirit-empowered Peter, an apostle, to those of, who are elect exiles. That's where I get this idea of for, foreigners, is, is maybe how your translation translates it. He's saying, this world is not our home. Right? We, what the writer of Hebrews tells us. This world is not your home. We look forward to a better homeland. We're just passing through, is what Peter's telling us. In the, in the dispersion of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for the obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of His blood, my, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Guys, there is a lot there. And, and I understand that it's going to frustrate some of you that I'm going to blow right by words like foreknowledge and sanctification. I, I don't... I don't think there's anything wrong with stopping there and going, okay, the, the word foreknowledge, is, so let's do a little mini-series on what the foreknowledge of God is. Here's, the, here's why I choose not to do that on Sundays. Sundays here is it's not meant to be a word study. When, we, when we're blessed to have the opportunity to start doing some other training opportunities in our new space, the foundations class, the leadership training, etc., then, we'll, then we will spend time, weeks, dealing with what does the foreknowledge of the sovereignty of God mean. I just will tell you, here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that God looked ahead in time, realized what a wonderful person you are, and decided he would have you as one of his children. Foreknowledge means he, has, he had intimate knowledge of you before you ever existed. How? I have no idea. But Paul tells us in Romans, for who he predestined, for who he, I'm sorry, for those who he loved, he foreknew. Those he foreknew, he predestined. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. All I know for sure is that it was all God's doing. That's what Peter tells us. That's what Paul tells us. That's, what the, that's the point Peter's making. He's saying, guys, your salvation, you wouldn't even be sitting here as a Christian if it weren't for God. And then he says, in the sanctification of the Spirit, sanctification has two functions. Sanctified is to be set apart. The Holy Spirit, when, when you cried out to God, whatever God did to bring you to a knowledge of Him, and you looked up and you said, Lord, I want to be yours, 
bam, sanctified. He means he set you apart as one of his children. When did that happen? Sometime between that very moment of your life and before the foundation of the world is what Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 3, or chapter 1. I don't know exactly how that works. But there's another piece of sanctification. It is we are sanctified and we are being sanctified. How does that work? Again, I have no idea. I just know that the same spirit that set you apart is the spirit that is making you holy. And then he keeps going, he keeps going on, and this is, and we'll get back, we're going to come back to this with communion. In the sanctification of the spirit, in the obedience to Jesus Christ by the sprinkling of his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Who caused us to be born again? God did. It doesn't say who by your, because you're just such a wonderful person, or because you were smart enough to accept him, or because what, he says, he caused you to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Guys, bottom line, our salvation, all of God, your salvation story is God's story. It's not even your story. It's God's story. But it's a hopeful story. Guys, man's hope is a dead hope. Because no matter, it, uh, man's hope apart from Christ has to be dead because if you're apart from Christ in the end, you're dead. Right? And you're separated from God for eternity. But Christian hope is a living hope because it was bought by a living Savior and it is promised in his living word. That's where Peter's like living hope. Okay, so the first thing about what's so great about your story, it's all of God. The second thing that's so great about your story is that he, it is preparing you for an eternity. And I, and I know that sounds, and not, not for eternity, for an eternity. I really want you, guys, we have to grasp this life is not about now. It just isn't. All of this will pass away. All of it. Two things we're going to see next week in, like, big time. Two things are eternal here and now, sitting in this room. There are only two. Look around. Everybody take a second and look around at the physicality of this room. When the new creation comes, there are only two things that are currently in this room that will still be here. The Bible you're holding in your hand, the Word of God, and the souls of the people that know Christ. That's it. Everything else is gone. All of it. And yet we don't live like we really believe that. So look at verse 4. He's saying, so he's caused you to be born again to a living hope. Now keep going, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Guys, I, I think we have so downplayed heaven, like as Westerners that have gotten so, you know, I, I, you know, like trust the science. And you're speaking to a guy that has a degree in chemistry and biology. Like I was a science geek most of my life, like my early, my pre-existence before Christ. Right, I, I, I like science. But, but we have become so analytical as Westerners. The concept of heaven, the concept of angels and demons, the concept of the spiritual world being just as real as the physical has become so diminished. Here's, part of, here's one of the big negatives. We have lost our um, appreciation of the reward. Look, look, at, look at how... Look at how... Um, he, how, how he talks about the inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Guys, these are real things with real, like, 
physicality that we can't see right now. That, that when you're walking with Christ now, you are laying up for yourself treasure in heaven. That's what Peter's talking about here. And then he says, when are we going to get it? Well, he tells us in verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Is he saying you're going to get saved at the last time? He's saying no. What, here's what he's saying. He's saying the fullness of your salvation. We don't even get it right now because we can't. We cannot get how amazingly magnificent our full salvation is. But when Christ comes again, we're going to be like, whoa. Wow. I wish I had known better because we would have invested well. And we haven't done so, or we're not doing so as well as we could. But some of that investment in heaven... Some of that glory we will receive is going to look like scars. Why? Because Jesus was scarred. And if God's end game for us is to enter into glory looking like Christ, how can we get there looking like him unless we're scarred like him? And that's what he's saying in verses 6 and 7. I've already read them. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So the, testing, so, so the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and honor at the, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Guys, he's saying, he's, here's what he's saying, guys. Ultimately, this, this is the mantra of today. Besides get woke, it's do, you do you, and you do what will make you happy. You do what will make you happy. That's what God wants, right? No. The Christian mantra is you do what will make you holy. Holy and set apart. That's what Christ is about. That's the work he wants to do. It's not about what will make you happy. It's about what will make you holy. And then, this is the, and then this is our ultimate motivation. Guys, it's not, I, I, sometimes when I talk about laying up treasure in heaven, which is a very biblical concept, that there are going to be, there are degrees of reward in heaven. We are not all going to be sitting there in the same spot, casting the same crowns on the sea of glass. That is one of those, back to Jeff's point of context as king, that is one of those scenes in Revelation that is yanked out of Scripture and misapplied. Guys, there are degrees of reward in heaven based on what the Holy Spirit uses you to do here. How that works, guess what my answer is? I have no idea. I just know it's true because the Bible says so. And, and yet, so people will go, yeah, but Doug, then, then if I'm doing stuff to get that reward, isn't that the wrong motivation? At some, yes, if that's your ultimate heart motivation, it's wrong. I will tell you that Peter and Paul seem to make it seem, they talk about it like, like Paul's very blunt about it. I mean, he's like, man, I can't wait to see what my treasure is. Now, he knows it's not me, but Christ in me, the hope of my glory. But he's like, I, I, he's motivated by that. But, here's our, but our ultimate motivation, and it was for Peter, and it was for Paul, and it should be for us, is verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So, he's, so, Paul, so Peter is taking us, he's saying, there's this inheritance, it's coming, Christ is coming, it's going to be rough, it's going to be, I know it, in, his, in his world, it is rough, you are being persecuted, keep looking up, but then he stops and he goes, but let me bring it back down a notch, let me bring it back down to your right, right now, you don't see him, but you love him, 
And that's why you're willing to be persecuted for him. Guys, it is his great love for us by which we can love him. And his, our love for him is what should compel us to talk about him. It's what should compel us to even want to be, like, to, to even be doing these things. Guys, it's, it's what we looked at last week. And here's the question. Is he, is Christ, is Christ alone your great joy? Like, are you looking forward to going to heaven to see the people that, you, that are already there? Or to see your reward? Or, or just, to get out, just to stay out of hell? That was the only reason you came. But you're like, yeah, I, I saw two alternatives, and that one sure looked better than this one. So I'm going to go this way. Right? Guys, our, our motivation should be to see Christ for who he fully is. Because that's what's going to happen on that day. Right? And look at your table talk question. We're not going to take time. We don't have a table. So I don't know. I, I didn't want to change the name. But we don't have tables. But... Um, I, I do want to make you uncomfortable a little bit. So I want to read this. It's in, your, it's in your connecting points. It says, if you are in Christ, he has placed his living hope in you so that you can share it. So that you can share it. So share with each other. So here's your homework. Share with each other a way you can share your hope in Christ with someone else in a quick way. This could be everything from how you came to be saved to how he has given you a glimpse of his hope today. But here's the uncomfortable, like, guys, if I ask you right now, okay, huddle up, or you're around your tables, talk to you, talk yourselves about, like, like, how can you quickly share your hope with somebody? It's the barista at the coffee bar. It's the person at the gas station. It's somebody sitting at your dinner table. But you, you, don't, you don't have two hours to talk about the gospel. You just want to tell them, man, I am excited about my Jesus. Here's why. Could you, and it wouldn't even be the same thing. So you wouldn't even say the same thing every time. Could you do it? Like right now, if I said turn and do that, some of you would be like, absolutely. If Scott McAllister were sitting here, he'd be like, Doug, why aren't you letting us do it right now? <laughs> why? Because that brother is excited about his salvation. The reason this feels, if I did it right now, the reason it would feel awkward to so many of us is because we don't, we're, we don't naturally talk about Jesus enough so when we have that moment like i, I mean i was maybe i was in the spirit enough to walk into the the coffee shop going i need to i want to share like my joy in christ with somebody and i have that moment it is so unnatural to us we're like uh, uh jesus loves you okay you know and we take off, which is better than nothing. And then we leave and go, oh, I could have said that. It's why, like, maybe, maybe you know, we've been talking about how, ask your, ask your server at a restaurant or wherever, hey, we're going to pray right now. How can I pray for you? Some of you won't do it because you're afraid they might actually give you something. Or, or they might engage with you in a conversation. And you'll be like, yeah, but I don't, I, I'm going to feel awkward. Guys, the only way to stop feeling awkward is to, is to just do it. Just do it and, and, and let it hit you in the face and fail and it's okay. And go, you know what? It's all right. I'm going to get back up. I'm going to do it again. It's like, it's like praying. Guys, you want something like, there's no right way to pray. You know how you get better at praying? Pray. Hear other people pray. Like, so, so we should, anyway, we should be, I spent more time on that than I should have. Probably should have just had you turn and feel awkward. But, but my, my point is, if we are excited about our salvation, guys, and I'm preaching to the choir and I'm a pastor, I get it. We have, the enemy has, one of the ways the enemy has sung his sweet little lullaby to us is, it just doesn't work. People aren't interested in that Jesus. Don't share him. 
and we've just gone, okay. I'm talking about my wife. I don't snore. And <laughs> sorry, honey. Okay, last point. So what's so great about your salvation? It's all of God. It's all moving you to a place, and the place is not here and now. It's there and then. And then here's the cool part. It's to make his grace known to all of creation. It's not just to us, not just to each other, not even just to other human beings, to all of creation. Look at what Paul, or look at what Peter says. Verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was, that was to be searched and inquired of, I'm sorry, let me start over. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ in the subsequent glories. Here's what he's saying. All of the Old Testament prophets, so all of the Old Testament that was, which was really even, even Moses, because Moses was also, was, was also a prophet, all of it by the Holy Spirit was inspired to look forward to when the Christ was going to come. That's, what he's, that's, that's ultimately what he's saying. Why he didn't say it that simply, I don't know, but that's what he's ultimately saying. Guys, they, well, here's, here's what we should take from that. All of this, if you're, and, if, and, and unless you're new here, this is not new, all of this book is about Jesus. What Peter is saying is they all wanted to know when Jesus was coming. They didn't know his name was going to be Jesus. They just thought it was going to be Messiah. They wanted to know the time of Messiah because this whole book is prepping for that point, what we celebrated last week. Well, most of the book. And then the rest of the book is, is pointing towards his second coming. Now look at, now look, and here's the cool part. I hope this will blow your mind if, you haven't, if it hasn't blown your mind in the past already. It was revealed to them, these pro the prophets of old, the Old Testament writers, that they were serving not themselves, meaning not the Jews, but you, us, the church, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So he's saying those who were changed by the Holy Spirit, he, he's He's saying, me, Peter, at Pentecost, by the Spirit, took the Old Testament and said, this is how it applies to everybody. Bam, the church was birthed. Thousands come to Christ. Now, here, here's, here's the, the, the coolest part. These things, and I loved how the New, Living, that, that, um, the New Living Translation that Kendall read talked about it, or said it, said it better than this even. These things into which angels long to look. Guys, the way I think the New Living says something like, these things were so, are so wonderful, even the angels want to see them. Why? Wait, wait, wait. wait, wait for, again, Westerners, this idea of angels, we don't even like, these are amazing beings. beings. They're not cherubim. There's no like playing little harps and little naked babies. That is, these, every time someone in the Bible sees an angel, what happens to them? Bam. These are amazing beings. Because they are, they're in the spiritual realm. And they dabble in the physical. Gabriel shows up every now and then. Right? They, dab they, 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 they come as we, we entertain angels unaware, whatever that means. Right? They, they dabble, but they're primarily spiritual dabbling in the physical. We are physical beings. But once you came to faith in Christ, 
you became a spiritual being as well. Our problem is we only dabble in the spiritual. We don't embrace the spiritual. Now, 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 why do the angels care? That's why the angels care. They can't come and be part of this physical world apart from God allowing them, like Gabriel go tell them. And, and we can enter into that spiritual anytime we want to because the spiritual, the Holy Spirit lives in us. Guys, they don't get grace. God's plan of salvation from the very beginning, he, he didn't go, oh no, in the garden. He planned it so that he could reveal his grace to us. But the angels don't get grace. Part of why they're so excited about what's going on in the world is they don't know exactly when God's going to send them back with Jesus. But they, here's, what they, here's what they do know. They know that they lost a third of their brothers when Satan deceived them. And they know they don't get them back. There's no redemption for them. And so God, to reveal his love, planned out this, frankly, sometimes seems crazy system to reveal his grace to you and I, but not just to you and I, to all of creation. The angels long to look at something that is completely foreign to them because they don't get it. But here's the, here's the last part. I'm going to finish it up, and the music team can come up, and we're going to go into our time of response. But guys, here's the thing. There's, there is a physical world. That's easy for us to believe. This is a physical thing. right? It's, it has physicality. You have physicality. There is just as much a spiritual world in the heavenlies, but the heavenlies aren't this far off place. Guys, right around us right now, there are angels doing battle on our behalf. And here's what's going to happen on that great day of, of self, when, when everything is restored. God is going to take the physical that we live in and are frankly just lulled to sleep in because we live in this kingdom too much. And he's going to take this kingdom up here. His kingdom come. His will be done. He's going to take that spiritual kingdom and he's going to take that physical kingdom and he is going to slam them back together to restore all that was lost in the garden at the rebellion. Because the new heavens and the new earth isn't some boring place with pearly gates. It is the earth restored prior to the fall. And guys, if anybody in all of the earth should have an excitement about what is to come, it should be us, a living hope. Because I get that this world, hard things happen. I get that there are things in our lives that we have to get done. I understand that, we, that, that there are issues that seem unfair and unjust. Christ gets it too, right? We saw that on Friday. But guys, we got to look past that. Like, li like, like literally get past, look past that. Because the physical is not what, what's real. It isn't. Because we think this is reality. We do. It's not. Not as... Guys, if, if you believe this, this isn't real. This is just prep work. Let's pray. 
Father, I just thank you, Lord, for that truth. I thank you that that you are, you've already paid the price of redemption. You have paid the price that was required to redeem back all of creation. There's nothing else that has to be done. The reason you're waiting to fulfill the rest of this great salvation that you've given us is because you're waiting for all of your children to come to you. And then the end will come. So, Lord, in the meantime, you leave us, the church here, to do that business. To do business with the world for your kingdom. So, Lord, help us to, help us, when we prayed at prayer time, help the spiritual eyes of our hearts to see what's real. And then live it for the glory and the fame of your name. Amen.